I, Clark Kent, take you, Lois Lane, to be my companion forever. And with you by my side, I will never be alone. Now the world sees a strong and independent woman. I've never known someone with such gentle grace and a more pure heart. When I've been lost, you've always been there to bring me back. So on this day, at this moment, I pledge the rest of my life to you. You've always believed in me, and I believe in you. And when you believe in someone, it's not for a minute, or just for now. It's forever. And welcome to Superman Forever Radio, episode 29. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder. Happy to be back with you. And this is actually going to be a good week. I'm excited about this episode. I have a, a fairly interesting announcement to do in just a moment. And after that, we're going to take a look at crypto and the super pets, followed by a discussion of the finale of Smallville. Maybe you've heard about it. And wrapping this episode up will be a look at a Superman for Superman Forever episode, Superman the Animated Series episode entitled entitled Stolen Memories, which features Brainiac, one of the better episodes of the series in my opinion, and we'll find out a little bit more about that. So let's go ahead and get this announcement out of the way. I'm excited to tell you that on May 29th, which is two weeks from today. Well, depending on when you're listening to this, May 29th, Sunday, May 29th, Superman Forever Ep- Radio will be live. And that will be episode 33. And at 6 p.m. Central Time, there will be a link that will come live on supermanforever.com. And I'll put out the, a link uh, just shortly before that on Facebook, Twitter, etc., where you can tune in. I will be absolutely live. You'll be able to phone in at the uh, message line. And. Uh, just be a part of the discussion, and I will actually be discussing Superman movie franchise. All of them, as in Superman the movie, Superman 2, Superman 3, 4, Superman Returns, and multiple cuts. A pretty general topic, but you can join in. You'll be able to tweet me, you will be able to chat, and you'll be able to call in. And I'm going to be quite upfront. there's any number of things that could go wrong doing this. I'm not going to lie, there could be all kinds of technical difficulties, And who knows, I may have a brain fart on live audio. But the point is, I want to try it. I want it to be something new. And hopefully if it works and and you enjoy it and I enjoy it and everybody has a great time, then we will you know, perhaps look into doing this on a semi-regular basis or on a regular basis. But that is May 29th, and I will actually put out an invitation on Facebook, live episode 33. Uh, via Ustream. It will be on supermanforever.com. So remember, 6 p.m., and I will be on there from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Central Time. So set your calendars accordingly, and I will be reminding you in the next several episodes. So beware of that. 
So, live episode, I'm very excited about that. Excited that the SFR Daily Planet should be stabilizing this week, assuming that Blogger agrees with me. As you may know, uh, Blogger actually went down this week for several days. And that kind of uh, totally killed episode, uh, uh, for the episode I had recorded, uploaded, ready to go, of the SFR Daily Planet. But it will come back to be daily. I do have some extra features. As we mentioned, there are days when there's just not any news. So that uh, I do have some extra stuff, like uh, Motivational Monday was a good one, Twitter Tuesday, and of course the solicits on Wednesday, and the return of the top five on Thursday, along with Superman Forever Radio, the review episode before uh, wrapping it up for the week. So I'm very excited. Um, I noticed that you guys have been responding really well to the SFR Daily Planet. There have been quite a few downloads. So right there, I'm psyched. Uh, I, I feel like I'm on a good path. I hope you're enjoying it too. Speaking of enjoying it, I've kind of rattled on a little too long. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a quick promo, and then we're going to jump into our look at crypto and the super pets. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. Superman doesn't fight the never-ending battle alone. Of course, he has super-powered allies, as well as friends and family in Metropolis and Smallville, uh, like Supergirl. But there are members of Team Superman who don't walk on two legs and their fur covered. The Super Pets, the most famous of them, is Crypto the Superdog. He's a loyal friend to the Man of Steel and Superboy, and it's no secret that I have a deep love for Crypto. I am a dog lover because of Crypto, and I first encountered him on the Superboy cartoon uh, way back in the day when it would play on Bozo the Clown Show, and I actually started out as a Superboy fan more than a Superman fan simply because, hey, he's got a superpowered dog. But this went a long way to me becoming the Superman fan I am today. Now, Crypto made his first appearance in Adventure Comics 210, written by Otto Bender. And Crypto is a white terrier that had been the L family's dog on Krypton and Baby Kal-El's constant companion, who was placed in an experimental test rocket built by Jor-El that would sort of test out the idea of sending Kal-El in a rocket. But Crypto's rocket never reached Earth in the time frame. It It was actually knocked off course. But after drifting in space for some time, Crypto was redirected and did finally land on Earth, where Kal-El, now Clark Kent, found him. At this point, uh, Clark was already Superboy. Now, while on Krypton, Crypto was just a normal dog. But on Earth, he gained strength and flight, as well as a heightened ability to reason. So essentially, Crypto was a dog with Superman's powers and a human-level intellect, even though he never really got to speech. So, when you have a superpowered pooch, what would you do? Slap a red cape and a collar with an S-shield on it. That's that's what I would do, at least. Crypto accompanied Superboy on many adventures like this, cape-waving. But really, Crypto spent a lot of time exploring the stars and the space outside of the, our world. Um, when he was hanging in Smallville, Crypto would put on a small dark patch on his back as a secret identity, and Martha Kent actually named him Skippy. Now, the... Wandering in space was more of a device that 
kind of kept crypto on the shelf when he wasn't needed uh, by the writers. It just, uh, oh, oh, we need crypto in this issue as some sort of exposition or maybe to dodge the crypto out of the way, as in some cases. So crypto would disappear into space quite often. And what they did to fill the gap is crypto disappeared into space for many years. So Clark ended up growing up, moved to Metropolis, and became Superman. And then crypto would return back in that era. And at this point, the dog was suffering from old age, and it, it, that was affecting his judgment. So picture this. He's a senile dog with the powers of Superman. That's pretty dangerous to have around. So luckily, Superman was able to restore his beloved pet with a fountain of youth. I want you to think about that for one moment before I could jump back into this. Superman allowed Crypto to go to the Fountain of Youth, regain his youthfulness. Crypto's still a dog. As much as I would love to keep my dog and keep her healthy, at the same time, I would still want to share the Fountain of Youth with others. I'm just saying, that could be on that super site that I can't talk about, because the name is pretty offensive. But uh, for those of you in the know... You know the site. Anyway, like Superman has his Lois Lane, Crypto had a dog named Chelsea. However, it wasn't quite the storybook romance we would see for the Man of Steel, because Crypto entered some sort of metafiction oddity where he be- pretended to be a dog named Jocko, who was an actor dog playing Crypto in a Crypto movie. And Chelsea, ironically, ended up following for Crypto slash Jocko's stunt double. I love the Silver Age. (laughs) Now, the ebb and flow of Crypto's comic book existence was show up for an adventure here and there, and then fly off to the stars, where his Dark House of Solitude was built on a meteor rock. And while there's really nothing in Infinite... Pardon me, Crisis on Infinite Earths, as to what happened to Crypto, the alternate Earth in which whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow occurs, it features Crypto heroically sacrificing himself to kill the Kryptonite Man. And there there was an alternative version of Crypto in the post-crisis world. Uh, this one did not have superpowers, but was instead a regular dog who survived his whole litter being thrown into Hobbs Bay inside of a trash bag. And Bibbo found the dog and intended to name it Krypton, but the engraver tried to exploit a little extra money out there, out of Bibbo, uh, just trying to put an extra letter on there. So Bibbo, not one to be swayed, settled for the name Crypto. Now, the scruffy dog eventually found a home with Connor Kent after years of disliking him. The two actually grew to bond. However, the super-powered Crypto would return not long after that, by way of a fake alternate version of Krypton created by Brainiac to lure Superman into a trap. Now, unlike the original Crypto, this version had only the intellect of a regular dog. So that meant when Crypto got happy... He wagged his tail, and unfortunately that meant sidewalks got cracked or walls got bashed down. So, seeing this could be potentially hazardous, Superman took the dog to the Fortress of Solitude and confined him there, where, along with Superman robots, they trained him up, and he came back as an obedient, loyal companion to the Man of Steel. Now, following Infinite Crisis, Crypto's origin was retweaked back, so he was now once again from Krypton, in following the death of Jonathan Kent in an extremely touching screen scene, Crypto actually went to live with Martha Kent uh, following Jonathan Kent's death and uh, just to keep her company, sensing her loneliness. 
And when Connor came to live in Smallville, Connor Kent, uh, he became a constant companion again. So he joined Superboy in his adventures, which are still ongoing. And like Crypto, Beppo was another test subject that Jor-El used to test rocket designs that would eventually bring Superman to Earth. Now, there are actually two accounts of Beppo's origins, slightly tweaked. In Beppo's first appearance, way back in Superboy number 76, as in the first series, the monkey was shown as stowing away in Clark's rocket and came to Earth. Now, this would be retconned in Action Comics number 500, where Beppo's origin pretty much matches Crypto's origin, beat for beat. Now, unlike Crypto, Beppo caused more havoc than he did do you know any good deeds in his first appearance he was such a nuisance that superboy led him into space and abandoned him abandoned him there so that he wouldn't find his way back i hope the PETA people don't pick up that issue because that would cause some problems now his hope was that the monkey would kind of find his own way unfortunately the monkey did return when clark was a full-grown superman now, Crypto's, or pardon me, Beppo's costume was actually more of like Clark's play suit. It was actually a simple blue shirt and then a red cape. And the in some depictions, the S appears. It's not the traditional Superman S shield, but more of a very lazy S. But in most depictions, uh, he would actually develop the shirt, actually get the trunks, but no actual symbol on the chest. It just depended on who was designing it that week. So the monkey did come back. And by this time, Crypto was established. And so was Streaky the Supercat. Now, Streaky first graced the comic page in Adventure Comics number 261 when Linda Lee adopted an orange tabby cat with a yellow lightning bolt pattern on her side. Now, while Streaky was a normal cat, she became exposed to X-Kryptonite. X-Kryptonite was a byproduct, as we discussed a few episodes ago in the in the uh, Kryptonite Central episode. It was a byproduct of a uh, experiment that Supergirl tried to do to kind of render Kryptonite powerless against the Kryptonians, her and her cousin Superman. And once Streaky became in contact with this, he actually developed superpowers. She. She developed superpowers. So Streaky would actually be able to fly, she had strength, she had most of Supergirl's powers, and she was also immune to kryptonite, but not to magic, because nobody's immune to magic. And Streaky would actually revert to normal when not exposed, so it was kind of a convenient plot device. Streaky gets exposed to kryptonite, joins Supergirl on adventures, and this went on for quite some time. Unfortunately, Streaky's career came to a halt when all of the kryptonite on Earth was rendered inert in Superman Volume 1, number 233, in 1971. Just a note, for a more detailed synopsis or a review of that issue, I highly recommend you check out Charlie Niemeyer's podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age. He covered the Kryptonite Nevermore issue that I just spoke of, issue number 233, in his fourth episode which you can find at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. Now, in the current continuity, Supergirl does indeed have a cat named Streaky. But as of this episode, the cat has not developed superpowers. However, I would not rule that out. Now, Supergirl's other pet was Comet the Superhorse, which is a slightly more convoluted origin. Comet appeared in actually two separate incarnations. Only one really applies to our discussion tonight. In Comet's first appearance, he was a horse, remained a horse for quite some time, but the horse was able to fly and had telepathic powers. And Supergirl first saw saw him in a dream in Adventure Comics number 292. 
This comet was once a centaur named Byron, who thwarted an attempt to kill the sorceress Circe. Now, the sorceress tried to turn Byron into a man as a token of her thanks, but due to tampered potions, instead Byron became a full-on horse. So, instead of being half-man, half-horse, full horse. Now, to compensate for this screw-up even further, Cersei gave Byron the superpowers of flight, strength, and telepathy. Now, Byron's or Comet, whichever you want to call him, sought Kara out, as the ship that carried her from Krypton to Earth actually freed him from thousands of years of imprisonment when it passed by the planet he was trapped on, tripping some defense mechanisms and allowing his escape. And thanks to a mission to a planet of sorcerers, Comet was eventually able to morph as a reward for aiding them. He was able to do this whenever a Comet was near, and he could assume the form of a man, and when he did this, he went under the guise of Bronco Bill Starr, a rodeo trick rider. Now, the awkwardness really comes in with the fact that Supergirl fell in love with Comet's human form. Don't pass judgment, okay? He was human at the time. But the romance couldn't really last long, since at any moment, uh, the comet may come out of range, and he would revert to a horse. And I know that would kind of kill any romance, because that's just awkward. Following Crisis on Infinite Earths, Comet re-emerged as an Earthbound angel. However, this Comet was not a horse. But he was sort of horse-like, due to some armors, he had some hooves... And as far as the... I'm not even going to get into that. That's a whole other thing. A lot went into that particular comet. Now, as far as the Super Pets, they teamed up on a few occasions as the Legion of Super Pets. And, the, and uh, of course, that went on for quite some time. We've talked about how, you know, basically following Infinite Crisis, there wasn't uh, Crypto for quite some time or any other Super Pets. In the current continuity, in fact, Crypto is the only surviving Super Pet to retain his powers. Now, the great thing about Crypto is he actually carried his own animated series where he was voiced by Samuel Vincent, and Streaky the Supercat was actually a supporting character in that. And Crypto also appeared in the Filmation Superboy cartoon, as I mentioned earlier, and he also made a small cameo in Superman Batman Apocalypse. But most recently, Crypto appeared in the Battle of the Superheroes episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold, where he teamed up with Batman to take on Superman, and it was awesome. And beyond appearing in Crypto's animated series, Streaky actually did appear on Justice League as an ordinary cat, with some very magical moments. And on episodes of Legion of Superheroes, where he was uh, in the bottle city of Kandor. Now sadly, outside of a, a few offhanded references, such as in Superman the Animated Series, where they reference Beppo, there haven't been any full-on appearances of the other super pets in any other media. And one final note, in the Smallville episode, Crypto, a dog does appear with superpowers stemming from being exposed to meteor rock. Which kind of segues us very nicely into our next segment about the finale of Smallville. So let's listen to another promo and then get the Walking Dorks gang in here and we're going to talk about that final episode. Rocketed from the doomed planet Krypton, the baby Kal-El was found and raised by the Kents. Now grown, Clark Kent, as Superman, fights for truth and justice. But years later, a rocket holding his 17-year-old cousin, Kara Zor-El, lands on Earth. Now, living in Metropolis, she fights for truth and justice alongside her cousin as Supergirl. Together, they form the Superman family, who fight for truth, justice, and the American way. 
The Superman Family Podcast is a bi-weekly podcast that covers any and all Superman-related books that fall under the umbrella of the Superman Family, from Power Girl all the way to Crypto the Superdog, as well as all your favorite Superman-related news and much, much more. Join me for some Superman Family fun only at supermanfamily.com. I don't know if anybody heard, but there was a short-lived show sort of about the uh, Superman mythos. It was called Smallville. No, I'm just kidding. It ran for 10 freaking years. It started... But uh, Smallville wrapped up its 10-year run this week with uh, finishing up the evolution of Clark Kent becoming Superman. And it's literally something I haven't touched upon a lot on Superman Forever Radio. But with this being a huge event and with the quality of this, I thought it'd be good to bring in my Walking Dorks co-stars, John Oliver and Travis Powell, to talk a little bit about the Smallville finale. So why don't you say hi to the crowd. Hi, everyone. This is John. This is Travis. And uh, basically, I'm not. Uh, we're just, I'm just going to put up a standing spoiler warning. From here on in, we are going to be talking pretty blatantly about the finale, details and all. So uh, where, where would you like to begin? What were some of the high points for you, John? Uh, for me, and I've got kind of a, a unique perspective on this, just because, like I told you, I enjoyed Smallville. I watched it for the first four or five seasons. Kind of lost touch with it, haven't ever gone back and watched those. So, But, you know, I, I really had fun with the finale tonight because I still knew enough to where I could follow. I did have to ask about certain storylines, like when I had to ask you, Travis, about when Lois found out that, you know, what Superman's identity was, that sort of thing. But I will say this. I thought, you know, for a two-hour episode, it really felt like a movie to me. It was paced really well. I didn't, like, lose interest at any stage. Highlights for me was the appearance by Michael Rosenbaum, obviously. I thought – I was afraid it would come off forced. It was very well done. You know, the fact that they, you know, smear the the, the stuff on his face that's going to make him lose his memory in 30 seconds is just wonderful – you mentioned earlier, Dave, when the sign gets broken for Luther Core and it looks like Lex Core. I mean, those were high points for me. And I'll be honest, in, in the end, when the suit's presented to him by Jonathan Kent, obviously that was a that was a touching moment. And just seeing him in, I felt like I was watching a totally different show because it's like finally that he had you know kind of morphed into Superman. Finally, they did a really good job with that. And I, I remarked to Travis about this. I'm like, darn it. I kind of wish he was playing Superman now, Tom Welling, because he looks, I mean, he looks yeah. so good doing that and acted, he acted the part very well. I, I know you guys complained a little bit about the CG in it, but I actually, it didn't bother me. I thought it was, I thought it was good. I like the fact that they didn't have the, the cheesy shot of him standing like next to the American flag in full view or anything. It was just, you know, kind of far off shots of him in the suit. I, I actually enjoyed that. But overall, I had a lot of fun with the finale. I'm glad I watched it. I was one giant goosebump, I think, for the entire episode. I mean, there was so much. That, like, uh, when they started out the show previously on Smallville, and they showed clips from season one all the way to season ten. The pilot, even. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, there were so many things. It's hard to it's hard to, to mention them all. Uh Jonathan Kent showing up was amazing. That was probably my of of him and Rosenbaum. He was probably my favorite because I, you know, 
what you guys don't know, I was a huge Dukes of Hazard fan. I mean, I have, my, I have a four-wheeler at home painted like the General Lee. So, and I always loved Bo Duke, but I think I like him better as Jonathan Kent. He, I, we talked about this earlier. I, you know, when they first said that he was going to be cast as Jonathan Kent, I'm like, oh, that's really bad. This is going to sink this show. He made a fan out of me in the first few seasons, I'll be honest. Well, I mean, the Jonathan Kent stuff, and I told you guys, and I'm just going to be blatantly honest, I was, I literally I brought out some tissues as a joke as me and my wife started watching and saying, I might need these. I'll be darned if I didn't need them. I was, I was, I mean, you know, uh, it's not a secret that, you know, I lost my dad and I relate to my dad a lot like Jonathan Kent because he adopted me. And there was a, there are scenes, for example, when Martha sits down in the church to, to, you know, for the wedding and looks at that empty spot and just has this hurtful look, Annette O'Toole just brought me down. She's very underrated, Annette O'Toole is. And it looked – here's just a question that's a little bit off the subject. We'll try and lighten it up a little bit. Did did it look like they did her makeup to make her look even older than she looks in reality? I was wondering that too. She's been looking older in the last uh, – her last couple of appearances. Because, yeah, I mean, I've seen her – I've seen photos of her recently like at different events and things. And she still looks very youthful. It seems like they really tried to age her makeup-wise. Well, in the real life, she's just absolutely drop-dead gorgeous still. Oh, she's could they be playing on the role on the fact that she's probably under a lot of pressure with her political career I, I think, and the fact that yeah. she raised Superman yeah. she raised Superman well let's let's kind of talk about the 800 pound gorilla let's talk about him in the costume the you never really got a full shot of him you never got the the striking pose but that last what was it five minutes yes. the seven years in the future I, with the John uh, Williams music and then the that did it for me. I didn't need that pose. I thought that would have been too over the top. Yeah. The five minutes of him flying around in the costume that you got to see glimpses, it did it for me. That was... Nothing has... Not to make it sound like I was emotional, but nothing has gotten to me in a long time like that last five minutes did. Just to see you know, the real Lois walk around the Daily Planet and, the, and Perry White on the door and their little flirt flirtation back and forth you know trying to keep it quiet and then like you said the music's coming up louder and it kind of builds and then you know it just it was no other episode in that series has made me yearn for the next season that's not coming now like that that one did yeah they they left us wanting more and i mean clark saving the uh the air force one just a call back to both superman the movie and superman returns phenomenal a couple other little things that I enjoyed. I love the fact that they brought back Jimmy Olsen for the end. I thought that was really cool. Same actor. I think I can't remember the actor's name. Is it Aaron Ashmore? Okay, yes, he was the one. He played Bobby Drake, Iceman. His, his twin brother. Uh, oh, I can't forget it now. His twin brother Ashmore played. Oh, so this. So this is like honestly, this is like the London brothers. So there's two of them, like identical twins. Well, they did an episode of Fringe together where they played twins. Oh, they did. They did. Okay. Well, I see how funny. I thought they were one and the same. Very cool. I thought it was cool that, you know, they brought that brought that character back. Obviously, it was fun, like Travis said, to see the Daily Planet and see the interaction. A part that I thought was amazing was I loved the characterization of Darkseid when he came from the smoke and appeared. The eyes were perfect. The head was perfect. I thought the voice was really well done for Darkseid. I don't know about you. What, what do you think? John Oliver. I'm glad you mentioned that. 
and, and there you have it from the horse's mouth. I thought we, we had to get Darkseid's opinion, obviously, on how they characterized him. Uh, we, we appreciate you joining us, Darkseid. I mean, that's, that's, that's great that you took the time, and I'm, I'm glad we kind of get to see things from your perspective. Yeah, thanks, Darkseid. I really do appreciate you being here again. That is amazing. I always wanted to meet Darkseid. I am in the presence of a god. Travis Pyle, that is highly appreciated, and I love your podcast, TheWalkingDork.com. I, uh, I just want to point out to you all that one glaring oversight was that Michael Ironside did not appear in this episode. That is a travesty. Well, dark side, I understand that, but I mean, as, as you and I both know, being Hollywood insiders, we know Michael Ironside's, you know, contractually obligated to the reboot of, of RoboCop coming up. So, unfortunately, you know, he, he wasn't available to appear. Um, one thing I did want to ask is, uh, you know, just out of curiosity, I thought you'd be taller. Do you wear lifts most of the time, or? Inksnay, Inksnay, don't mention that. John Oliver, 5'7 is a fairly average height for a male. I don't understand why you feel the need to degrade me. As Travis Pyle said, I am a god. A comedy god. You know, Dark Side, let's not talk about your comedy. I understand you're on tour, but let's uh, let's kind of leave that be and kind of get back to the to the matter at hand, which is the Smallville finale. No, no, J. David Weir. I think a joke must be told for the adoring audience. Why did the chicken cross the road? I don't know. Why? Trick question. I stole his soul before he could get to the other side. <laughs> the man really is a comedy genius. <laughs> but no, the, another another thing that I one of the things I really enjoyed was uh, I really liked the scene with Chloe and Lois when she's basically trying to explain to him why she needs to go ahead and marry Clark. I thought that was kind of a touching moment um, when she mentions to Clark how she's accepted the fact that her father's not going to be there to walk her down the aisle. And then after you see the scene with Annette O'Toole, you see her freaking out because she thinks he's standing her up and he comes in beside her and grabs her hand. Amazing. And then when you see them walk down the aisle and he looks over and actually sees Jonathan Kent. Phenomenal. I agree. Phenomenal. A couple of things that I enjoyed that I think other people will probably pick apart. And uh, this is just me. I, I like the fact that they had the awesome bookends of, you know, Chloe reading the bedtime story to her son, which pretty obviously is Oliver Queen's son, as you could tell by the by the bow and everything there. I thought it was neat that they were reading a comic book called Smallville, even with the DC imprint. I thought that was neat. Uh, something that I think people may not have gotten or thought was cheesy, which I really liked, was when when Chloe's, you know, going back into Star City to uh, to get her, what was it, her notes, I believe. Yeah, she she hugs Clark because she knows, you know, that's probably the last time she's going to see him, at least for a while, which obviously was probably seven years before they saw each other, somewhere around there. Maybe not, who knows. But, you know, when she said, okay, see you in the funny books, I just, I absolutely love that comment because it was a nice nod to them retconning that character back into the books. Yeah, but you have to realize, Chloe put on the helmet of Dr. Fate. She knew some things, so she saw his destiny. Sure. So she, that hug, saying goodbye, is like, I know you're about to embrace this, you're about to become the hero you were meant to be. Exactly. Was there something there, though, that I missed? Because it looked like there was some kind of, almost like a mental exchange between the two. Like, And I was wondering, maybe I was reading too much into there it. There was a glance, and to me, that was acknowledging all the history they'd had together. You know, I thought that, I thought that was neat. I just kind of felt like she dissed Oliver a little bit there at that part. A just a little bit. bit. Well, Oliver did just almost put gold kryptonite on Clark's finger. Yeah. 
Did I thought it was going to happen? I thought we were going to see the gold kryptonite his powers taken away and pull a Superman too. Oh, uh, where he comes back and the powers are given back to him. Absolutely, I I, I could see that happening. I just. I don't know. I just, I just, there was nothing about this episode I didn't like from start to finish. It was, it was, I don't know if I'd go as far as say edge of your seat from start to finish, but there was not a bad scene in that. The interact, what I think is, is cool. And I don't know why I like this, but I just do. Um, when they were all at the farmhouse and here is this group of people, you know, when we start out in season one, it was Ma and Pa Kent and Clark they were the only ones that knew the secret. And now he's got this huge support group. There's Lois, there's Oliver Queen, there's Chloe. And they're all there, and they all know his secret. And it's just like, I don't know, there's something about it. I don't know what it was. But then there was a, that's a good point, because it segued into the barn, where it was just the three of them in that weird way. And, yeah, I'm not going to get back into the Jonathan Kent, but it made perfect sense to segue it that way. Can, can I say one thing that bothered me, and I'll see if this bothered you guys. You know, I just talked about how much I like when the smoke apparition comes in the room and it becomes dark side. Uh, one of the things that I didn't like was when they have Lionel, you know, confront Clark in the barn, and it's dark side's voice, but it's Lionel's body. I almost this is going to sound bad, but I'm like, did your special effects budget run out at that stage? Did you did you have to bring in the actor to do that? I, I just much would would have rather seen them have the CGI dark side again, I guess. Well, John Oliver, it happened that I ha- I was in North Platte, Alaska. Nebraska. I get the two confused. Uh, okay. Um, but the CGI dark side <laughs> could have ended up incredibly awkward. They, the sparing, I know it, it was a little bit like Galactus in Fantastic Four 2. I was thinking that myself, yeah. But dark side could have looked horrid, and it really almost didn't go all that well so See, i thought it did i thought they still kept the main structure of what i thought the character should look like when he did kind of when you saw his face out of the apparition so to me it didn't i mean when they're talking about galactus and the fantastic four you don't see anything really resembling that character yeah yes you do if you look closely you can look and see the shape of the helmet anyway this is not a fantastic four pond but still i thought it was more well done for this i thought than it wasn't fantastic I, I just thought that he, Clark, defeated him a little too easy. I mean, maybe he didn't defeat him. Maybe he just kind of sent him packing for now. But I just thought, you know, I know they had to hurry up and get to the end, and they couldn't do everything they wanted to do and drag it out as long as they wanted to. But it seems like that one that he's floating there, and then, and then he just kind of punches him and, and takes off. I, I don't know. I just thought that. Oh, I don't know if you. Uh, fight. I don't know if you know this, but at this point, he's Superman. And actually, that you brought up a scene that really bothered me was the long montage, and maybe it'll differ in subsequent viewings now that I know you know what happens. But at that point, I'm chomping at the bit. Just give me the costume. You're so geeked up for that, and they keep showing the flashbacks and the trials that he had to go through. I liked it. I I from being there from from season one to now, I love seeing all those old clips. There's something about that 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 kind of gets to me. And plus it reminds me of the crystal wall from like, you know, infinite crisis or back in the day. uh, They've, they've done that crystal wall where you see all the different versions of Superman and stuff. That's kind of what that reminded me of a little bit, but you mentioned watching it from season one. I didn't want to watch that montage because I had been watching for 10 years and I'm ready to, you know, get to what I wanted with the show. And I knew he wasn't going to be in the costume for more than five, 10 minutes. And that's all I really wanted. 
Can I, can I dissect one thing on the plot, though, that you kind of mentioned, Dave? Um, it, it, Travis was talking about how easily Darkseid's defeated, and that is one thing. You know, I expected Superman to come and push Apocalypse out of the solar system, but it's just kind of this effortless little, oh, okay, psh, problem solved. Really? Darkseid didn't have a contingency plan for for Superman pushing the planet? That didn't come up in discussions? Well, no, they they they, they intended to defeat him, and they didn't count on Oliver you know, taking out Granny Goodness, Desaad, and that's true. Yeah, Godfrey. But oh, I mean, overall, well, how would you rank this episode in terms of not just maybe comic book finales? Obviously, there's not many of those, but in terms of season finales, series finales of all time, like Mash or Dallas or something like that. It's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking back to some of the finales that recently. You know, you talk about like the Seinfeld finale, the Sopranos finale, the mixed reactions to those type. This one didn't leave me wanting more. Yes, like Travis said, you know, you're kind of like, oh, I wish there was another season because this is so cool. But at the same time, I can't look at this finale and go, oh, I really wish they would have done this or I really wish they would have done that. They did just about everything I was hoping for, and I thought they did a really good job of catering to the fans. It was a, it's a nice little salute for being on the air for 10 years. I mean, you don't see that very often. A lot of times you see the politics or the creative minds kind of muck up what a finale should be. And to me, I mean, they pulled this off brilliantly. Screw Mash. We have a new heir to the throne, as far as I'm concerned. I think that, you know, it left me wanting more, but I think to have a, a there's going to be another, I think it would cheapen what was, what I they showed tonight. Too. You want that other season, but it would You want it, but it would cheapen. I think what would be great is give it like five years mm-hmm. and then do a, do a movie. Like, I mean, I think it'd be kind of cool to do a movie based on that series. Nothing against Henry, Henry Cavill, but honestly, I, you know, seeing Tom Welling. I just looked at him and I kept thinking, wow, this is adult Clark and wow, that is Superman. I mean, he really, and I'm one of these people that are like, ooh, you know, he definitely would never look like Superman. Man, it really, it gave me the old Christopher Reeve shivers, man, looking at him in that costume and just the mannerisms he was using. I was very impressed. Honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing a feature film with him in the lead at this point. Yeah, that's something, I, I never had a problem with the idea of Tom Welling as Superman. I just didn't see it happening. Right. But I think for me, that last five minutes where the John Williams music swells, he pops out on the roof, busts open the shirt, and then the the shield flies at the viewer. And then the credits had that Superman the movie uh, streamer behind it. And I was like, no, this is exactly how 10 years of mythology should wrap up. Mm-hmm. And you knew that obviously it was going to be a jumping off point for Superman. So it, well, it left it exactly where it should have wrapped everything up that I can think of. I tell you what, I've only got two gripes. What's the one person that's always played really well against Clark Kent and Superman in the comic book? Batman. Oh come on! I'm, no, I'm just saying it would. I, it would. I wish that they'd have shown like Bruce Wayne. It wouldn't have to be Batman. Just show Bruce Wayne just maybe once in the ten years. And the one thing I think would have been cool is when Apocalypse came into our atmosphere, whatever. I would have liked to have seen just br- very, very brief glimpses of other heroes kind of grabbing their gear and whatever, kind of to help prepare, fight this off if they needed to, or help save their respective cities. Just a glove, just a glove reaching for a batarang. Just you know. Well, what about not not so about not even that, but the heroes that have been established, like Aquaman, has been established. The Flash has been somewhat established. Um, Cyborg. The characters that we've seen in the league, uh, even Black Canary, 
which Ollie should have married. I'm just saying. That that's what I'm saying as far as like Bruce Wayne. I'm not saying that it had to be I'm just saying whenever world's finest. It's always been they've always used Batman and Superman to play off each other and they do so very well. I would like They to they opinion. tried and tried and tried. That's kind of how we ended up with Green Arrow. Green Arrow was sort of the analog to Batman that they could legally use. But because DC had it tied up in the the new Christopher Nolan franchise, you didn't see Batman. But it's still, I mean, overall, looking back over 10 years of, of, of this show, remembering actually watching, you know, the, the premiere in October of 2000, oh, wow. Yeah, Ni- yeah. it was ni- uh, it was 2001. It was yeah. right after 9-11. And I think this show was a, it definitely resonated with some positivity and hope right after that. And I think that's a lot of its longevity. And admittedly, there were a few years there where I pretty much gave up on the show. But after season seven or during season seven, it kind of redeemed itself and and we've seen it come back from the brink. And I've counted this show out many times, but I was glad it went out on its own terms because I remember watching that first season. I'm like, please just let this last year, let them complete, you know, have a and here it is 10 years later and. What a finale. I mean, it definitely gets my approval. There's no other way it could have ended. Oh, it was phenomenal. And just thinking back over the last 10 years, just some of the scenes from the last 10 years, the Justice League, the Legion. It's, 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 it's the best comic book adapted to a TV show. I mean, the best show adapted from comic books, I think, ever done. And the longest running. Absolutely. Yeah, 10 years. That's something to scoff at. I mean, that's record setting. So um, I'm just going to wrap it up. I bid adieu to Smallville. Any final thoughts from you, John? Uh, no, just like I said, for somebody who uh, who skipped out on three or four years of the series, it was it's still a lot of fun to watch the finale, and you know it's actually made me maybe go back and watch some of those older episodes that I had missed out on. So I was very impressed. I think it. I, I think that it uh, shows that there can be really great comic book TV shows done, and I just want to say what an honor it was to meet Darkseid. An honor. Yes. Do you have final thoughts, Darkseid? Well, thank you, J. David Bader. I don't think I appreciate your tone, but I do appreciate you, Travis Pyle. Have you, uh, have you ever watched Sequest DSV? Uh, no. Stick around after we finish recording. We'll talk all about Michael Ironside and Roy Scheider and adventures with Jonathan Brandis. But I thought the season finale was pretty good. And as for me, I feel content that my 10 years of investment in this show have come to pay off in exactly what I wanted. That last scene, I always pictured it being a pair of red boots and a cape and then fade to credits. This was better than what I pictured in my own head. So final thought is phenomenal. Thank you for 10 years of Smallville. And, uh, well, let's play another promo and we'll move on to the next segment. I'm sorry, what's that? Is anybody else kind of worried about Travis? He Last I saw, he was walking out with Darkseid and a copy of Sequest DSV on VHS. Do we need to put in like an Amber Alert, or do we have fingerprints? Do they do they still do that stuff? I don't. I don't know. I just think it's weird that Darkseid could probably afford DVD or Blu-ray. Oh, I'm sorry, John Oliver and J. David Weeder. I have everything on laser disc. Oh snap, brother! Break out a laser disc reference. You all right, Darkseid? And you too are all right. John Oliver. Darkside cares. I'm just going to play the promo and we'll take a look at the episode of Superman the Animated Series entitled Stolen Memories, starring Brainiac. You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. 
Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a ten-cent pulp comic book, to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Golden Age Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.libsyn.com. Every legend has a beginning. And it is Superman the Animated Series, Episode 8, Stolen Memories, which originally aired on November 2nd, 1996, not 2006. We're not going through a time warp, but it would have been on the CW network. It was written by Rich Fogel and directed by Kurt Gaeta. And the episode opens with a truck, actually ironically designed off the Batmobile from Superman the Animated Series, and a truck that'll pop up from time to time in episodes. But it uh, snakes up a mountain road in the middle of a desert where it arrives at a site where there's a lot of communication systems set up. Now, many of the members are scientists and there are workers, and as the truck is opened up, out comes more workers, and amongst them... Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen, who talk amongst themselves that they don't know exactly what Luthor is up to other than meeting with someone very important. So clearly this is a LexCorp setup. So while they're kind of scavenging around and doing their thing, they ponder over figuring it out. Luthor actually witnesses, they all witness a storm that starts sucking stuff into it, and then a ship appears. And then there's a hologram of Brainiac. This is the first time we've seen Brainiac in this form, this robotic uh, sentient form, which we're going to come to know. And Corey Burton is a phenomenal Brainiac. And as a show of good faith, Luthor shows Brainiac a disc containing basically what he calls a planetary primer. And at that point, Luthor is allowed to enter the ship by way of a floating chair that comes down and picks him back up. Now, Luther also mentions that he caught the uh, broadcast that Brainiac has been doing since uh, we last saw him on the third part of Last Son of Krypton, way back in Episode 3. And with that momentous meeting, we switch to another scene outside of Earth, right around the moon, where Superman comes out of hyperspace in his modified ship, which, as I mentioned way back in Last Son of Krypton, never crashed, it landed. It's been uh, retrofitted to actually go to hyperspace, and Superman's been four light years away in under four hours. So that's pretty phenomenal. Emil Hamilton back on Earth is pretty excited and actually mentions, unfortunately, we can't continue because some people from the Pentagon are here to talk with you. So looks like Lex Luthor has made a friend. So Superman heads back to Earth to meet up with the Pentagon or people from the Pentagon. What am I saying? So at a tribunal meeting, Superman and Lex Luthor talk with uh, several high-ranking uh, military personnel 
who were kind of upset with Lex Luthor for making contact before them and not informing them, letting him know that there is such thing as national security. Lex says there's also such thing as free enterprise. LexCorp made contact, LexCorp was uh, totally responsible, and explains that Brainiac is a collector of knowledge. In exchange for uh, knowledge about Earth, he's willing to give his vast knowledge of the entire universe. And with that, Lex Luthor says, let me demonstrate, pulls out a remote control device and floats one of the generals into the air with a force field, saying this is one of Brainiac's many technologies. And Luther points out, this is only a bit of his technology. What else does he have? The cure for cancer? It's a possibility. A way to fix the ozone? Who knows? And ironically, the line about him curing cancer would come all the way back in Justice League, the animated series, when it's revealed that Brainiac actually cures Luthor's cancer. So in Justice League Unlimited, the episode entitled Divided We Fall, which is a lead-up to the animated version of Panic in the Sky, which, at this time, uh, from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast is covering the original story. And as I mentioned, you can hear me on episode 93, and Charlie Niemeyer shows up on episode 94. Go over and check that out. While, and I'm sorry to go off on a tangent, but it just seemed like an appropriate time to mention it. The generals ask, why can't we meet Brainiac face-to-face? And Lex Luthor says, no, I think Superman should meet him. As uh, I've told him about Superman, and he's most anxious to meet him. Why not talk alien to alien? And so the scene switches. Superman flies way out in the middle of the desert and stands upon a very tall precipice where he looks around to see nothing and thinks to himself, out loud, I've come a long way to get stood up. At that moment, Brainiac's ship comes out of cloaking and is huge. A door, a door opens and Superman enters the ship, flies around where there's many devices, one of which scans him and catches his attention, and he notes some writing on the post where the scanning device sits. And this writing happens to be Kryptonian. A floating robot then drops down from the ceiling and begins to bash the Man of Steel. And another one joins the fray, giving Superman a run for his money followed by an entire freaking fleet of these robots, and we fade to commercial break. And when we fade back up, Superman is tossed around like a child's ball between these robots, thrown to the ground, and then bombarded with laser beams. Superman gains the upper hand on one of the robots, rips its arm off, and begins bashing it, and turns to the other one and says, who else wants a piece? And one of my favorite lines in the entire series. One of the robots attacks once again, but Superman is able to cut it literally in half with his heat vision, and the others back off, seeing the problem. A spotlight falls on the Man of Steel, and down floats Brainiac, who explains he needed to properly uh, gauge Superman's powers. Brainiac acknowledges that Superman's name is Kal-El, and Superman says, How do you know my name? Are you from Krypton? To which Brainiac replies very coldly, very miraculously, just a great line, I am Krypton. So Brainiac leads Superman into another room with floating yellow orbs all the way around it, which just, in the animation, looks phenomenal. And Brainiac explains that, while you've been hanging out on Earth, I've been floating around the galaxy gathering knowledge, and these orbs contain that knowledge. And with that, Brainiac plucks one from out of the sky, out of the air. And the orbs contain all recorded information of a planet. So Superman naturally asks, what about Krypton? And Brainiac leads the way. Right to a specific orb that contains all that Krypton was. Superman, of course curious, steps forward solemnly. He begins to reach for the orb, but 
stops for a moment, and Brainiac says, go ahead, touch your legacy. Superman does reach out, and is, sees this beautiful vision. And it's the Krypton we saw all the way back in Last Sun, the polar ice caps, the great Krypton, Kryptonian cities, and then Jor-El, working on the rocket that would eventually take Kal-El to Earth. And with that, the vision fades, and we're back in the room with the floating orbs. Superman, of course, asks if Brainiac knew his father, and Brainiac says, yes, he helped me escape our planet, and all of our homeworld's memories now reside inside of Brainiac. With the help of X-ray vision, Kal-El is able to uh, understand that Brainiac is a artificial life form, and all of the orbs are actually memory modules, an extension of Brainiac himself. Brainiac explains to Kal-El that he can give uh, memories that are so intense that he would experience Krypton as if he had been there, and they could explore the galaxy. But Superman says, hey, this is my home, I live on Earth. And Brainiac points out, you know, a power such as yours should not be confined to one single planet. So Superman is left with a choice, which he ponders back in his apartment. Superman lays down to try to get some sleep, and still kind of tosses and turns with the decision. It plagues his dreams, and suddenly Superman wakes up, and the bed is floating through the universe. He sees visions of his ship and his mother, and then a vision of Jor-El approaching the council, just as it was in Last Son of Krypton, Part 1. And he points out that Brainiac, uh, well, kind of threw Jor-El right under the bus, and Superman starts to realize what's really going on. And we see a montage of a lot of scenes that look like they were either taken directly from Last Sin of Krypton or redone very well. But eventually Krypton does explode, which wakes Kal-El, or Clark, right up from his dream within cold sweat. Next morning at LexCorp, a satellite dish is lowered on and attached to the rooftop. As one of Luthor's aides says this will be online in 20 minutes, Luthor explains, no, you better make it 10. And just then, Superman swoops down from the sky and says, Luthor, we have to talk. I have reservations about Brainiac. And Lex explains, it's too late. I'm already setting up a link so he can download every th- all of his knowledge into LexCorp's database. Lex tries to leave the rooftop, but Superman grabs the door. Luthor explains that he hasn't trusted Brainiac from the get-go. He has payloads loaded at him that are several megatons, enough to level the entire county. With that, Superman flies back to Brainiac's ship, where Brainiac asks, Have you considered my offer? Superman says, I have a few more questions, but before any of these can get answered, Luthor pops in via hologram and says, The link-up is ready. And... Brainiac floats up into the command area of his ship and begins to, in some very creepy ways, basically open up panels and such in his body and start attaching to all kinds of computer modules to begin the link-up. While Brainiac is distracted with the transfer of the, of the information, Superman goes back to the room with the orbs, reaches out to touch the Kryptonian orb. Before he does that, one other orb floats down, catches his attention, so he grabs it and it shows him a vision of a completely different planet, not Krypton. And this planet, due to Brainiac, shares Krypton's fate, as Brainiac basically just went in and jacked things up left and right. Superman realizes what's really going on here. And just to test a theory, Superman takes one other orb and sees a planet of lizard people, where Brainiac once again came in, cleaned the entire place out, basically destroying things left and right. 
And as he realizes exactly what Brainiac really is, he falls to his knees and he is ticked. Meanwhile, back at LexCorp, the information coming through is a little off. Something is not right. Long story short, Brainiac has locked the LexCorp employees out of their own system, which means he'll have access to every defense system in the world. Well, not everyone, but quite a few. So Lex gives the order to fire the missiles they have positioned towards Brainiac. And, of course, Brainiac's thought of that and shut down those lines. Oh, things are looking bad. Back on the ship, Superman rushes into the control room and confronts Brainiac, telling him, you destroyed all those planets. To which Brainiac responds, only their knowledge was important. And as Superman begins to question him, a pair of clamps tighten themselves onto Superman's legs, holding him into place. Followed by several more restraints, which puts Superman into basically uh, a very high-tech set of stocks. And with a great deal of effort and struggle, Superman is able to break free of them, though. He flies at Brainiac in Brainiac's floating chair bike thing. I'm not exactly sure what it's supposed to be, which uh, actually fires a large laser right at Superman. The lasers are pretty powerful, but as Superman flies up, he begins punching the lasers, which is a quick callback to the Fleischer Superman cartoons. Uh, The very first one, which is either called Superman or the Mad Scientist, depending on which director you're looking at. And Superman is able to fly all the way up to Brainiac and punch him right in his blue face, even though he's referred to as green earlier in the episode. A little odd, but he's definitely blue. This leaves Brainiac dangling by all of the various wires and, and fire wires that he's connected to, which Superman begins to break, which frees up LexCorp's systems and essentially stops the uplink. So as soon as the controls are back in Luthor's hands, he says take Brainiac offline permanently and begins to fire the series of missiles. Back on the ship, the physical battle between Brainiac and Superman goes on, with Brainiac gaining the upper hand, firing a laser and telling him, you are your father's son. You are just headstrong and you will be forgotten. With Superman overpowered, Brainiac is able to reconnect with the computers on the ship, which he fires missile. Pardon me, fire uses the fire lasers at the missiles, taking them out in midair. And for good measure, takes out all of the launchers as well. Summoning his second wind, Superman is able to rise up just enough to punch Brainiac right through the chest. Disconnecting him from the computer and sending the two plummeting down this shaft is several stories where they land on a platform. With Brainiac distracted, several of the missiles actually managed to hit the ship, causing a chain reaction explosion. In a panic, Brainiac looks at Kal-El and simply says, The orbs, and Kal-El flies into the room with all of the orbs, and manages to retrieve one and only one orb. As Superman flies out of the ship, the ship comes to a huge crash, a huge explosion, and is in itself destroyed. So Brainiac's taken out, correct? Back at LexCorp, they realize they're looking at the system, saying it's going to take years to rebuild. Lex Luthor informs them, you have two weeks. And they note a strange alien code in the system, which Lex disregards because he's had his fill of aliens this week. And Lex leaves the room. Meanwhile, in the Arctic, Superman stows the Kryptonian orb away and says this ought to keep it safe. A lone polar bear growls at Superman, which he says, keep an eye on that. Looks around and says, I knew this place had... Per- had 
uh, pardon me, I don't know why I can't spit that out, had potential. And Superman dives through the water underneath the underground tunnel, pops out on the other side. And so we see the beginning of the Fortress of Solitude, as well as Brainiac. What an episode! I mean, the action is intense. It's like a Michael Bay movie on crack. I, this is, I, as I said, this is one of my favorite episodes. It really does a perfect job of tying back to the premiere. It does a great job of establishing the Fortress of Solitude and really just connecting Superman with his roots. And of course, there was the obligatory Superman in the spacesuit, which was helped to sell action figures. Now, one interesting note is that Brainiac's ship, the little bike slash chair thing I mentioned, actually did come packaged with the action figure, which looked ridiculous at first until you see the episode. And the animation also takes a huge leap forward with a 360-degree view Superman has when looking at some of the alien planets. Just all together, one of my favorite episodes, and the voice cast couldn't have been better. Now, Lois only appears in one scene, as well as Jimmy, but Tim Daly definitely conveys the emotion of a man really looking at his home world for the first time and feeling that betrayal of, this is the one piece of my world that's left, and it happens to be a D-bag. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's, uh, Corey Burton's Brainiac is perhaps the best rendition I've ever seen. Um, whenever I read Brainiac in the comics now, I hear his HAL 2000 voice. Uh, HAL 5000. What is wrong with me? HAL. Let's just call it HAL. And I just love the line, I am Krypton. And it's weird to note that Brainiac is one of the most common recurring villains in the entire DC animated universe. He's uh, going to come back. Let's. I'm just going to throw that spoiler out there like you didn't see that coming. He'll be in some more episodes of Superman the Animated Series. He actually appeared in Static Shock, both versions of Justice League, regular and unlimited. And this is the last time, though, we hear the speaking appearance of Jor-El. So let's bid adieu to Christopher McDonald's Jor-El, even though most of this was drawn from Last Son of Krypton. And the thing is... How did Superman figure out which orb to grab? How do you know which orbs is, are which? They all look exactly the same. But he does manage to grab the Kryptonian orb. And I just love the fact that inside of this, you get this Fortress of Solitude. And it's a unique version of the Fortress of Solitude. It's not, and we saw it ripped off in Earth 1, but just a cavernous cave. I guess that's pretty redundant. Just a cave, an arctic cavern, where Superman can hang out and be alone, except for maybe the polar bears. I don't know if John Peters had some hand in that, but hey, it's there. So, I mean, this is my one of my favorite episodes of the series of all time, as well as probably the best episode of season one, bar none. And I'm going to give this five S-Shields out of five. And next week, we are going to look at The Main Man, part one which is going to be fun. Nice to have an appearance from Lobo. And that's going to wrap us up for this week, for this particular episode of Superman Forever Radio. Keep in mind, I will be back tomorrow with the SFR Daily Planet, bringing you the daily news from the world of Superman. And it'll be Monday Motivation, so looking forward to that. And of course, Superman Forever Radio will return Thursday with a review episode looking at the comic books, the Superman comic books, with the cover date September 2007. We are well on our way to catching up to the books on the stands now. So I'm looking forward to seeing you all there. Don't forget, May 29th, that is Memorial Day weekend, Sunday, May 29th, 6 p.m., live episode of Superman Forever Radio, which you'll be able to find at Superman Forever Radio. 
pardon me, supermanforever.com. Looking forward to that incredibly much. I don't even know if that makes sense, but anyway, I look forward to it. I want to thank John Oliver and Travis Pyle and, of course, the Lord Darkseid for joining me on this particular episode and uh, talking about the Smallville finale. And I want to thank you especially for joining me on this episode. So that's going to wrap us up. This has been Superman Forever Radio, a production of supermanforever.com. As always, you can find the show and leave a review on iTunes or visit supermanforever.com. And of course, the show is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, where you can find other great Superman podcasts covering all eras of the Man of Steel at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Drop the show an email at mail at supermanforever.com or follow the show on Twitter. The username is at superman, the number four, ever. Superman Forever. You you can become a fan of the show on Facebook. Simply search for supermanforever.com and press the like button. Leave a voicemail at the call-in line, which is 703-95-SUPER. That's 703-957-8737. Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, and related elements are trademarks of DC Comics, a Warner Brothers Entertainment Company. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and no profit is made from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Until next episode, keep on fighting the never-ending battle.